Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bible Breakdown. Really excited to get to chop it up this week and talk about um, 2 Peter 1. So that's the passage that we're going to be in today. So we spent some time last week talking about 1 Peter, and then this week we're going to go into 2 Peter, and it's another letter that's kind of been dropped in uh, in our stories of Acts, which a lot of them are about Peter. So it's kind of neat for us to get to see a little bit of different perspective from Peter on a more focused level in his letters. We get to see a lot about him, obviously, during the narratives, and to get to See, read some things that he wrote after these events are, are also really helpful, I think. So we'll be jumping into Peter's second letter, and we'll be in chapter one. And really the topic that is going to come up through this passage, we're going to read through verse 11. We're going to be talking about kind of the relationship of faith and work. So given how much you have ever studied or listened on this topic, that either probably really excites you or really bums you out, to that that's what we're talking about. But it's one of the most important things, I think, that we have to consider in our world right now, being in a country and a region that is specifically got this incredible Christian history and heritage. And we do see in the South that there's, it's still somewhat popular to be a Christian in many circles. We have a lot of people who we would consider culturally Christian or nominally Christian something that doesn't exist a ton in maybe the rest of the country doesn't exist really at all in the rest of the world. And honestly, is not super common throughout human history. So we really live in a fairly interesting time in terms of what it means to kind of dissect a, a genuine faith versus a not genuine faith. One thing I'm going to warn us about today is trying to make those specific dissections between a person's legitimate faith, genuine faith, or in genuine faith. And so we'll kind of talk about how we navigate that, but that's kind of what the topic is going to be. And we're going to talk about this passage, what it has to say about faith, what it has to say about works. And then we're going to talk about kind of the relationship between those two. So second Peter one, I'm going to start reading in verse one and start through first and go through verse four for our first section. And we'll chat a little bit about it. So Starting in verse 1, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to be to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So what we see from this intro is that Peter is writing to believers, uh, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, is how he describes it. I uh, don't want to go too far without talking about the word obtained here. So obtained in... English, we kind of think a lot of times you can obtain something a lot of different ways. I think to me, when I read obtain, uh, I almost kind of think of something that I've earned or something that has uh, come as a result of what I've done. Uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about how that word operates here. So this is, cover your ears if you hate it when I talk about Greek words, this is the word loxano in Greek. 
and it has this it has a meaning of obtain um, though the other listed meanings are receive be appointed chosen by lot cast lot so in none of those uh, ways that we see this word used do we see it kind of as a um, a wage or something that is earned through action uh, the part about the lots is kind of interesting there uh, are examples in the scriptures of when people cast lots to determine the will of God, uh, which is to us seems very, <laughs> very dicey. Um, but people did it in the Old Testament. They did it in the New Testament when they were choosing, uh, after they decided to replace uh, Judas, they they cast lots to see who the Lord was calling them to uh, add to their midst. So when you look at that, look at it that way, when you see receive, obtain, be appointed, chosen by lot, that does not at all really give you the connotation of something earned. So when Peter's saying uh, that we have obtained, let's just make absolutely certain he's not he's not claiming that anyone has earned this uh, salvation, this faith of equal standing with theirs. But and we even see it in the final little prepositional phrase there by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So. Let's start out on a clear note, knowing Peter is not advocating that they have earned this faith of equal standing, um, but that it is something that has been, they've received, they've been given, that comes from God, and the the agent, the, the means that we're given is by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So it is something that is obtained, that is received because of the work of Christ. So um, in this first section, when we're kind of talking about faith, maybe it's opposed to as opposed to kind of more specifically honing in on uh, the faith that they've received. We want to make sure that that is clear. Uh, so the historically, uh, the way that the church, the Protestant church, um, which we're a part of, has described salvation uh, through the era of the Reformation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's what we believe. That's how we believe we obtain this faith is it's only by God's grace it's only by the act of faith in that grace that has been accomplished by Christ alone. So, again, I want to be just abundantly clear that grace and faith are how we earn this, this eternal salvation, how we earn God's favor. It's only because of us saying we couldn't do it on our own. Jesus did it on our behalf. I believe that what he did was sufficient. That's the way that we understand how we enter into eternal life, how we enter into a relationship with Jesus, how we uh, earn or have this faith is through what Jesus has done. And we see that kind of even more fleshed out in verses three through four. There, I'm just going to read a couple of the phrases that come up through there. Uh, verse three, granted to us. Verse three, called us. Verse four, granted to us. Verse four, through them, which he's referring to the promises, you may become Let's recognize kind of our role here when it comes to the salvation that Peter is describing, that he's encouraging them in. So he's what he's talking. Why the reason he's bringing this up? Is he wants to remind them kind of their identity and their status in the eyes of God. And the reason that they fit into this category, he's using words like "granted to us," "called us." Uh, you may become. Note the the passive agent that is us in this process. It's been granted. We've been called um, these promises. We can, we may become, uh, Peter is emphasizing that this salvation is rooted only in Christ. Um, there's nothing that we could do to 
earn it is only because of Christ's work by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that we're able to enter into this relationship with Jesus. So that really has to color all of how we look at this passage. It really should color all of how we look at the relationship between faith and works throughout the scripture. Just this knowledge that faith is not earned and we should we should not ask people to believe, we should not believe ourselves that we in any way earn our salvation because if it's up to our earning, if it's up to what we're capable of, we're going to fall flat on our faces. So verses one through four, give us that, that picture. Peter gives his readers that picture. Really what he is calling them to in this letter is to a faithful life, but he wants to first remind them the nature of their salvation. And while he's reminding them, we also are reminded ourselves that the salvation that we have, the, the works that we do that are a result of that salvation, all rooted in the person and work of Christ. So uh, now we'll move on to verses 5 through 11, where we're going to get a little bit of exhortation from Peter about what this faith means for us. So I'll start reading in verse 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, this is a fairly common theme that we see in the epistles. We see it in Paul. We're seeing it in Peter. Uh, we see it to an extent in James, this relationship between our faith and our works. And that relationship is this faith should lead you to live in a certain way. A genuine faith in Jesus can't help but result in good works. And he makes it clear in this passage. Hey, he says, make every effort. It doesn't, it's not like it, uh, it happens easily. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is uh, sanctifying us, growing us, even in those times when we're not making much effort and that the Spirit's ministry to us, Spirit's work in us is to draw us into sanctification, into holiness, into righteous living. Uh, but he's also exhorting them, don't just sit by the, the side of the road while this happens. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And he goes onto this list of ways that he wants them to live. Uh, he recognizes that for us being people that are redeemed, but still have a sinful nature, that it is difficult for us often to live out our faith in a meaningful way, and especially to do it consistently. Um, it's just uh, a lifelong journey that we go on in our relationship with God that we hopefully as time goes on, we become more and more faithful, but it's a, it's a lifetime journey. We won't get to the end of our lives and say, ah, finally, I never sinned in the last three years of my life. Uh, we'll, We'll probably be sinning the day that we die just because that's how strong that sin nature is in us. But even in the face of that, God's grace is greater. So he's telling them their faith, the one that he's just reminded them of in the first couple of verses, should be leading to these virtues, this knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love are the things that he lists. And these are all fairly general terms. He's not, It's not really even as specific as some other 
some other passages where we're exhorted to act in a certain way. He's he's really giving a pretty wide net, which really what I interpret that to mean is go ahead and make, let this faith integrate itself into every aspect of your life. Don't let any part, don't let any stone go unturned in your life. When you think about, should my faith affect how I act in this situation? The answer is yes. He's all of it, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Let all of these things be uh, rooted in your faith and let them permeate your whole life. So these works, they come out of our identity. Our identity is as children of God. Um, it's Our identity is in this calling which we've received, the, the salvation that has been granted to us. And what he says in verse 10, 10 and 11, or rather, let's see, he says this uh, in 8 and 9, is that if we are not living a life consistent with the calling we've received, with salvation we've received, he says in verse 8 that we're ineffective and unfruitful. He's telling us live this way so that your faith can have an effect on the world around you, that you can have, you can bear fruit in the world, that you can make disciples, that you can show people the glory of God through your actions. He's encouraging them to act this way so that their faith isn't just for them, but that it also is producing something in other people. He also mentions that if, if anyone is not striving toward these things, it says he is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So if, if we're not living a life consistent with our faith, we're basically saying, I've forgotten what I've been redeemed from because ultimately when we act in the flesh when we act in our sinful nature, we are living a we are living our former life. We are living as if we're still slaves to sin. That's what Paul tells us. He tells us that anyone who is living in sin is a slave to it. We think, oh, you know, if we're if we're serving Christ, then we're we're giving up our freedom. Paul's telling us no. To everyone serves something. You either serve sin or you serve Jesus. So he's saying serve Jesus, and that's you can kind of see the uh, the remnants of uh, not maybe remnants you can see some of the similar uh, ideology here in what peter's saying he's like you're forgetting that you were cleansed from your former sins you're forgetting that you're no longer slaves if you are acting if you are not exhibiting these qualities that i'm exhorting you to do so living in a way that doesn't show our faith is a unfruitful ineffective doesn't really help anybody and also it's a it's living in a false identity. It's living as if we weren't cleansed from our former sins. So that's what Peter is exhorting them towards. And then in verses 10 uh, and 11, it says to be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it, this be diligent to confirm your calling that can that can be a little bit hard for us to, to like wrestle with. Um, I think the biggest thing that we have to think, um, so the, the way that this is worded is basically in the Greek, it's do these things which get, which validate. So you, you could word it, do these things to validate your calling and election. So the way that I read that is Peter is saying, be consistent, be consistent with what your identity is. We're not, Peter's not saying, hey, if you uh, do these things, you will confirm to God that you are actually saved. God does not need any confirmation from us. He does not 
need us to validate. He's not need us to prove. If anyone knows our eternal state, it's him. Um, this is not a conditional calling or election that he's given us. It is not, we know that it's not something that God holds over our heads, kind of like a, a carrot in front of us. Like, well, if you're real good, then I'll give you this salvation. It's been granted to us. He's called us to it. And through these promises, we will become partakers of the divine nature. We see already Peter is telling us this is a status. This is a this is a gift. This is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. But rather he's saying, let those actions, maybe it's to confirm to yourself, maybe it's to confirm to the world, but do the things that are consistent with your identity in Jesus. And eventually we will answer for the, the way that we live on earth. So there's no reason for us to be acting in a way that's inconsistent with who we are. We want to please the Lord. That's part of um, our, our faith is that we want to please the Lord. We, we know that he has done so many things. We know that living for him is the best thing we could possibly do. And ultimately, we want to act in gratitude and walk uh, in that faith that we have in the grace that he has given us uh, to, to be pleasing to the Lord. And so when we do things consistent, when we practice things that validate our calling, when we are confirming our calling, we were talking about being consistent with what this calling, this election is, because ultimately we know that it's only through God's grace that we have it. And by practicing these things, it says you'll never fall. doesn't mean we won't have difficulties, but if we are consistent in our, with our identity and we act out these things in our faith, we will be, we won't tend to stumble as much over the things that seek to trip us up in our faith. So that's kind of what's going on here in this passage. Um, Peter is saying, this is the faith that you've received. Act this way so that you can be fruitful, so that you aren't living in a false identity that's no longer yours, which is as a sinner, but rather act consistently with what your calling and election is. So that's the main message that I see here in these verses. And so I just want to finish by talking about the relationship between faith and works, kind of in a more general sense, maybe less directly from this passage, because it is is a big thing that we uh, that we wrestle with. There's a tension in the scripture of this relationship between faith and works. Um, we see in James that he says faith without works is dead, um, is useless. We see things like this confirm your calling, um, and all of these things. I believe that all of the scripture is consistent, even though some authors will discuss things in different ways. I I do believe that all of the authors of scripture see that our salvation comes through faith alone. But there's also this, this tension that says, but genuine faith produces works. And if there's not works, then we have reason to question the genuineness of that faith because genuine faith should always produce works. Again, salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that salvation, when genuine, produces works. So we can see sometimes in our own lives, we can see in the lives of others, I think we're especially good at seeing in the lives of others, when the walk doesn't match the talk, so to speak. Um, if we look at ourselves, honestly, we see that there are times where we are not living consistently with our calling and election, where we are not living in the identity we have as children of God. We are living more in our sinful nature. Um, we can also see that sometimes in, in those we know, sometimes we... Uh, maybe are a little too judgmental. Maybe we jump the gun a little bit to 
say, well, that person's not living a life consistent. They must not have a genuine faith. I'd urge all of us just as this comes up, I'd urge us to do two things. One, keep in mind that the knowledge of a person's true eternal destiny is God's alone. Um, we have not been given a ministry of deciding who is really, really saved and who's not. Um, we have not been given a ministry that um, gives them the mark of, yes, you're a true believer. No, you're not a true believer. Um, that is not a, a ministry that is ours. That ministry is God's alone. Only, only the Lord truly knows the state of a person's heart. And we can see actions, but we will never truly know um, where that person stands with God. And actions are often a uh, an indicator. But again, we have not. That's not our uh, ministry that God has called us to to label everyone saved or not saved. And the second thing I'd like to have us avoid is avoid taking a snapshot approach. Um, avoid taking a look at someone's life over the last week, two weeks, three months, six months, year, and say, "Well, I have not seen a lot of consistent fruit in that person's life over this last few weeks, so that must mean their faith is not genuine." Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and assume they're not a believer. Um, let's let's avoid that again, knowing just in general that's not our ministry. But uh, our our lives, our faith journeys, are lifelong journeys, and we have peaks and we have valleys. There can be long periods of time where uh, a person's fruit is kind of dormant, like where we don't see a lot of growth and fruit. And let's not automatically assume that that person doesn't have a genuine faith. Um, and if we look at ourselves, honestly, we can know the times where maybe we would, somebody might say that we have fruit in our lives, but we know in our hearts that we're not producing fruit, that it's a show, it's habit, it's good habits, but, um, it's not the kind of the fruit that comes out of genuine faith. It's a kind of fruit that comes out of just, well, I know what I'm supposed to do. I guess I'll do it. Um, I want to look good, whatever that may be. So when, if you should have a question about some, the genuineness of someone's faith, based on what they claim and what you see, avoid taking a snapshot approach, um, knowing that, you know, we're, we're all part of a journey. The thing that I would encourage us all to do in these kind of situations, in situations where we may be wondering, hey, this, this person's talk and their walk's not matching up. They say that they um, have a relationship with Jesus, that they have faith in the work of Jesus, but I'm just not seeing them walk in consistency with their claims. I'm, I'm seeing this habit in their life that's not consistent. I'm seeing this belief in their life that's not consistent with who Jesus has called them to be. I will tell you what our role in that is. It is not, again, to wonder, is this person really saved? Is this person not? Our role is to approach in love and exhort in love someone to act in consistency with the claims that they have to walk in a way that is consistent with the faith they have. They say they have in Jesus. So this is not something really that should be done by strangers. This is not something that is belongs to uh, acquaintances. This is really kind of the role of uh, people who are in close community. This is people, maybe it's family members, even uh, someone who truly knows a person well um, and is able to see maybe some of these habits. Uh, it shouldn't be a, a, a moment for judgment, but rather a moment to say, hey, I, I see, I hear what you say about what you believe in Jesus. And then I see this in your life. And I just want to know, like, what's, what's the deal? Like, are, is there an issue with knowing what the right thing to do is and, and not doing it? And so therefore not doing it? Or is I know the right thing to do and I'm 
choosing not to do it. And that's a moment of, of discipleship, growth, um, movement toward holiness, movement toward obedience. And that's really how we should, the tactic we should take. And I think it's fair to ask someone, hey, I see you live in this way. You, what, what is it that you believe about Jesus? You know, what, what is your identity? How would you describe yourself? Who is Jesus to you? Those are all, those are all valid things to do. We get in a lot of trouble when we say, I see you're living this way. I don't think you're really saved. Um, hey, I saw you do this one thing uh, three weeks ago, and that makes me think that you're not really saved. Or, hey, I just met you, but I see your life. I don't think you're really saved. Those are, those are where we get into trouble, when we start playing God and wondering and claiming we know someone's saved or not. Uh, in the body of Christ, we are called to, to confront one another in the face of sin, to exhort one another, to act in obedience. Uh, we are not called to make judgment calls on people's eternal state or the status of their faith. And we're not called to do these things like ex exhort and um, call people something higher in a way that is, uh, I guess, holier than thou, or I feel like I've got it together, so I've got to come help you. But rather, we're walking through this together. We're all trying to live a life that is more consistent with what we believe about Jesus and really, we should have the attitude of coming alongside one another and uh, listening to one another, hearing about the, the things that are going on in a person's life and really pointing each other toward the grace of God and what he's called us to. And if we do that, if we can do that in love, we don't have to have these concerns about, oh, this person, are they a cultural Christian? Are they a nominal Christian? Um, the way that people will what they'll claim, how they'll act, th that'll bear itself out and they will they will answer to the Lord one day. But as for us, if we are a part of the body of Christ, if someone is claiming to believe in Jesus, then we can hold them to a biblical standard and we can uh, exhort and um, push them toward obedience in love. And that's what we should do because that's really the, the loving thing to do is to point someone to how God would have us live. And we want to be fruitful. We want to call others to be fruitful and to live out the identity that we have in Jesus and ultimately hoping that um, through faithful living, through fruitful living, through living consistently with the identity that we say that we have, that more people will be drawn to the true person of Christ and that they won't think of it as an idea, a religion primarily, but they think about it as a, a belief system that radically transforms every part of life and a relationship that radically transforms every part of life um, and a relationship that goes on forever and is about forgiveness, grace, through faith, um, all centered around the person and work of Christ. So I hope this was helpful today. Um, I hope that going from here, just that we can be people that are, A, just really thankful, really thankful for the gift of salvation that God has given us, thankful for the work of Christ, and that that thankfulness and that new identity that we have in him results in a fruitful life that is obedient, um, that points people to God, and that in those instances where uh, we recognize in our own life inconsistent living, where we recognize in those that we know well inconsistent living, that um, those things can be confronted, whether, again, uh, in my own life or in the life of someone else, and that ultimately that, um, that confrontation, that, that call to obedience results in more and more glory for God. So, just encourage you all to um, just spend some time this week just being grateful for the work of Christ and reflecting on ways that we can more 
consistently, more fruitfully act out uh, our identity that we have.